Behold the venom produced by the head of the snake. Gaze upon the fruits of its propagation of the global war machine. Commiserating its empire of destruction and misery as it slithers throughout the globe, bringing megadeth and agony to all. Beware the head of the snake. Stay vigilant, my friends. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for spending your time in the Tiger's Den. We will try not to waste it. I am Angry Tiger, and tonight, ladies and gentlemen, the Knights of the Storm and the Tiger's Den are proud to announce a very special guest. It is our honor, our privilege, with us tonight, ladies and gentlemen, the Slayer of Dragons, a lion in the jungle of truth, swiping away at the evils of tyranny, relentlessly fighting for freedom, a true warrior in the halls of liberty, and the slayer of the gypsy-headed, snake-headed tinbenders in the central bank. Ladies and gentlemen, the author of Creature from Jekyll Island, G. Edward Griffin. Sir, it is an honor to meet you, and uh, I can't say that uh, I've ever met someone who has contributed so much to humanity as you, sir. Thank you very much, and welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you, Franco. I loved your introduction. It made me feel very uh, like I was in a circus or something to be exhibited. <laughs> the lady with two heads or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I like to I like to lavish my guests with compliments. Yeah. You know, I've, yeah. I've had some people on the show, but no one no one quite like you. So, uh-huh. you know, most of my viewers are aware of who you are. And uh, it's going to be a treat for everybody to uh, to get to talk to you this evening. And I want to thank you for your time. Well, thank you for inviting me, Franco. So I guess um, let's let, let's jump right into it. I guess the the big question is what what made you write what what made you write this book? What 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 was the the you know the the thing in your life that you said wow something's going on? Let me look into this. You know what what what's going on with the financial system? A very boring subject. Not <laughs> yeah. really, but not really. Yeah, if you really get into it, well, it's a tough one to answer because uh, I don't really know the answer. What what made me do it, uh, so to speak, and what one thing it was a gradual awareness uh, of the importance of the topic got to a point where I simply said, hey, this is bigger than I realized. And in fact, uh, had I known how deep and complex and important the topic really was, I probably wouldn't have tackled it in the beginning. It wasn't until I was already started on the path that I realized really what I was into was so important. So uh, to make a long story short, I I decided uh, to go into business for myself. I decided to get out of the corporate world as a young guy. I was in my, uh, I guess I was in my middle 30s or early 30s. When I quit my corporate job, which I, I was on the ladder, I was moving, moving up the ladder. To, I wanted to be a vice president or at least I wanted one of those penthouses in New York, you know, and so forth. And then I discovered the real world. I discovered that I had a crusader gene. I discovered that I really did care about my fellow human beings. It wasn't just all about me and my family and how good I'm looking and am I driving an impressive car and am I living in a nice neighborhood? And do I have, you know, nice things and all that, Uh, which was my life up until that point. I discovered that the world was in deep caca and uh, all of a sudden, I felt, oh, golly, maybe I should do something about it. I should do something about it. That was a new thought. So my crusader gene started to, to rattle, and I, uh, I quit my job and uh, went into business for myself, producing little cheap 
uh, low budget documentaries. And I wanted to produce a documentary on the cause of inflation. And uh, <clears throat> I knew that the Federal Reserve had something to do with it. I wasn't quite clear. <clears throat> it was easy for me to understand that the government was to blame because it usually is if you dig deep enough. The only thing governments are really good for is fighting wars. And only half of those do well, but the other half lose the wars. So, but when they do something good, it's usually winning a war. Everything else, they mess up. And um, so anyway, I, I had an inkling that um, there was the government somehow involved, but I had no idea what the mechanism was. So I gathered some research, I had a couple of banker boxes full of papers and books and recordings and interviews that I had done. I never did produce the film, Franco, because uh, it, it turned out to be a bigger project than I dreamed. Uh, and I'm certainly the last guy in the world to tackle something like banking and money. I mean, that's a, isn't that one of those deep subjects that you have to go to college for and get degrees on? And yeah, they got, the, they got the mysticism and the smoke of intelligentsia and secret talk and legalese a little bit. It's almost like its own language, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's it's the fraternity. It's uh, the order, you know, the order of the bankers. Oh. So it's the cabal, yeah. So it really turned out to be that way. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was more than just a joke. Anyway, so I never produced the film because I had to, um, I had to do things that were easier to produce and quicker because I had to put groceries on the table to feed my family. So uh, I put the box away, and then later on, somebody asked me if I would give a speech on the topic of taxes for one of their study groups. And uh, of course, I would be happy to give the speech on taxes, I told the group, but I don't know anything about taxes except the obvious, they're too high, and I'm against them. So what else do you want me to say? There's my speech. I said, but I, I could give you a speech on um, a hidden tax. Oh, what's the hidden tax? I said, well, you just have to have me give the speech in order to find out. So they retained me for the speech, and I, I gave them a speech on inflation, the hidden tax that uh, you never think about or see, but it is a tax because you pay it anyway, uh, whether you like to or not. You don't have to send it in. They take it right away before you get anything to buy. And it hits the poor people harder than the rich people. What else do you need to know? So then um, I gave the speech and one, a couple of people in the audience came up afterwards and said, gee, that was very interesting, Mr. Griffin. Why don't you put that one on the road? So I did. I prepared a one-day seminar called The Crash Course on Money, and I put it on the road. And we went around the country, and we sold tickets to the seminars. It was very successful. We always packed the place, and people sat there all day long listening to me tell them about the hidden tax called inflation and how it came about and, and how it was a crime. And I kind of decided to write the story or tell the story like it was a not a theory or a textbook on banking and currency, but as a whodunit, a mystery story, because that's how I saw it. It was the greatest crime of all history. And so I thought, well, we'll tell it like a crime story. And uh, let's see if we can find out who did it, why they did it, how they did it, and where they buried the evidence and all that sort of thing, and make it interesting along the way. So that's what I did. Well, all right. I'm, I'm over answering your question, but you got me thinking about how did I come to write the book? Well, I'm, I'm approaching that answer. So the turning point in all that was one day after I had had this, this one day seminar on the road for about a year, 
after one of my presentations, a little old lady came up to me. She said, Mr. Griffin, it was funny, she's an older lady, you know, and I'm just a young guy in my, my 30s by this time, 37 maybe. And she's calling me Mr. Griffin, but that's okay. <laughs> and uh, she said, Mr. Griffin, uh, <clears throat> my husband passed away a little while ago and left a small inheritance. And I purchased a small apartment building and I'm heavily in debt. And after listening to you, I'm worried about my future investment and my ability to support myself. I can't live on Social Security very well. How do I protect my investment? Should I get out of debt? Should I sell my uh, apartment building? Should I get into gold or silver? What should I do to protect my investment and my future ability to survive economically? And I was dumbfounded because I realized right while she was asking me that question that I hadn't the foggiest idea how to question. <laughs> I could tell about Federal Reserve. I knew how they created inflation, how they made money out of nothing and backed it by debt and all this stuff. I knew its history and that was all good. That's why they came. But when it came to the real markets and investments, I knew nothing. So I said to myself, Edward, you are a fraud. These people are asking you questions, really important questions, and you can't even help them. So I quit doing that. I enrolled in the College for Financial Planning, which is a correspondence course. It's a rather high prestige course. It's kind of like a CPA designation, except for financial planners. So I got my designation. I didn't <clears throat> take the course because I wanted to be a financial planner, but because I wanted to understand the real world of markets. And um, so when I got through with that, I got my diploma on the wall. It's around here someplace. I don't know, someplace on the wall. And uh, big deal. So I graduated that, but I did, did understand the markets finally. And I realized at that point, and now here we come to your question. I realized at that point that everything I had learned, almost everything I had learned in that course, in terms of what to advise to people of how to protect their investments was wrong. It was wrong because it did not take into account the, the fraud that was built into the monetary system. And they were just playing with the system. They were, they were teaching, financial planners were telling people that the only way they could survive economically is to be in the system. Don't make too many questions. Don't ask. Just go along with the system. You know, buy your stocks and your bonds and your mutuals and so forth. And don't, don't expect too much. Just go along with it and you'll be fine. So I knew that was wrong. That was really wrong. So I said, you know, somebody ought to write a book on this. So that's when I got serious about the book. So I, I've come to the end of the story, actually. Uh, it took me a, uh, a couple of years after that. Altogether, it was about a seven-year project. But Franco, I have to tell you at the tail end of this story is that had I known in the beginning what I was getting into, I would never have tackled it because it was a huge, huge subject. And uh, I was afraid, rightfully so, that once I was done and published this book on money and banking it would the first real expert that came along would be some college professor who taught this subject at some prestigious university would get hold of my book and he would he would blab to the world all the errors and the mistakes i made and make me look like a blithering idiot fool <laughs> it's gonna happen it's gonna happen i was worried about it right <clears throat> it never happened you, you know why you know I, what though i do know why now in fact, I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. Uh, because it finally came, the answer came to me 
uh, on my book tour at the when the book was first punished, uh, published, and I was invited to speak, uh, to speak, but to be interviewed on a radio station back on the East Coast, some small town there where they had a university, and uh, so I said, sure, I'm, I'm on a book tour. I'm going to talk about my my speech and my book, sell a few copies of the book. That'd be wonderful. So I go to the radio station and we get in there and. I noticed there's another person sitting at the table there where the microphones were. And I was introduced to Professor So-and-so from a local university who taught money and banking. And I found out this was not an interview so much of me as it was to be a debate between the professor and me. <laughs> I, I thought, uh-oh, here's my day of doom. You know, this is it. I'm going to be dead. They have to carry me out feet first, feet first from this radio station because he's going <laughs> to slaughter me. And so... <clears throat> Started off and the host asked me to summarize my, my message. And so I did. I think I had about two or three minutes to summarize why I was opposing the Federal Reserve System and the reasons I summarized reasons of what was wrong with it. And then he turned to the professor. He said, Professor, what is your response to that? I waited, waited. It was a moment of silence. And then he said, well... Um, Everything he said is true, but we're living well, aren't we? <laughs> and that was his answer. And that is, in fact, the only answer I have ever had in one form or another since that day. In other words, you can commit crime of all kinds as long as you live well. It makes no difference if the, the poor people are robbed. It doesn't make any difference if, if this starts wars, needless wars. It kills millions of people. It doesn't make any difference if it destroys the economy. It doesn't make any difference if it's an instrument of totalitarianism. As long as we're living well, that's the only thing we have to worry about. Yeah, that's all that's they care it. about. That's all they care about. You know, it's fascinating what you just said because, you know, I, I read your book. I, I started working on the Ron Paul campaign in 2008. I got introduced to all this stuff, right? And, and, and I read your book. And I got to say, your book liberated my way of thinking because I'm like, oh, all this is a scam, right? So why measure myself up to this? But, but, but what, that, what that professor did in that debate, if you want to call it that, um, is he basically, I, I always wondered, are Keynesians, they don't have an understanding of the Federal Reserve and the fiat money and the problem with it? Is, is it because they have a lack of understanding? And you just basically said, no, these guys understand it. It's like, you know, they've got a rotting corpse in the closet that they don't talk about. They, they look at it and they don't want to look at the horror as long as everything's all right out here and they can't smell it or see it. And they don't care how rotten the corpse is. As, as, as right now, you know, I just did some numbers on a show the other, you know, for a show. And, and I focus, I, I, my main focus is throwing rocks at the Federal Reserve. That, that's what I do. I stay on the bond market because you can watch what they do, I think. Uh, when I talk to somebody like you, I say, I think, because you might correct me. And if, if I'm wrong, please do. But when you watch the 10-year yield bonds and the two-year yield bonds, we've got inverted yield curve right now. We have, you can watch them buy the debt literally through the bond market. And it's, it, and it's, it's fascinating to watch that. But the food inflation is at 9.5% year to year. The spendable money that a, from a, a regular Joe's paycheck, 11.4% is, is already taxed from the, the hidden tax of inflation this year. That's the highest it's ever been. The food inflation is the highest it's ever been. 
when I look year to year, and that will compound because you know that they're tools, that they're, oh, raising the interest rate, that doesn't do anything. We know that. This time next year, what is food going to cost? Our, our standard of living, I warn my viewers, and not in a bombastic way. I, I don't make money off of this. I, you know, there's no money in podcasting, and I'm new. But I warn them, you know, as a human being, because I, I care for them, you're not going to, your lifestyle is going to change. Please be ready for it, you know, because even if we have all this silver or gold, that's our species of currency that we know is solid. I, I think they're going to try to crash what they have going on and run us into a CBDC. What, what do you think of that? Have you, I'm sure you're aware of the CBDC. Ah, yes, I'm very aware of that. And the short answer is I agree with your, what you just said. Uh, there's been a change in the last couple of years up till a few years ago. I, it was pretty obvious to me, at least, that uh, the <clears throat> central bankers, meaning the Federal Reserve System in our case, in America, were trying to just keep the keep kicking the can down the, the road as long as they could, as long as they could avoid facing the consequences, which was the, you know, runaway inflation and loss of the American dollar being used as an international um, exchange unit, unit of exchange and so forth, as long as they could keep the world accepting our worthless dollars that we keep producing out of nothing but debt, uh, it was fine. They keep kicking the can down and let the next generation worry about when, you know, the road comes to an end and it's just nothing but a cliff and everybody goes over the edge of the cliff. Um, then all of a sudden, about two years ago, there was a change and they're talking about a cashless society. They're talking about, you know, currencies based on digits. Well, we already had that in credit cards and so forth. But their twist on it was different. They wanted this to be an exclusive currency that you had no options to choose anything else for. I mean, right now we can use credit cards or we can choose uh, American dollars. You know, we can use paper dollars. We can use credit cards. We can use other currencies. We can use gold and silver in private transactions and so forth. So we have a lot of options. But what their dream was, was uh, no options. You, this is it. And the whole world would have to be involved in it because we don't want you going to some other country and swapping our currency, our digital currency for something else that maybe has more value. So about two years ago, I could see all of a sudden they had decided that they weren't going to try and kick the can down the road any further. They were trying to kick the can to break the can. They were trying to destroy the system, not to to extend it as long as they could. They wanted to bring it down so that there would be so much chaos and so much fear and so much anguish and starvation, but mostly fear that uh, people would be clamoring for a solution. Ah, the solution is this, this central bank digital currency we've been working on, folks. Look, this is the problem. This is the solution to the problem we created. They won't say we created, they'll say, this is the solution to the problem. <clears throat> and the gum chain poop, uh, public will say, oh, you got a solution? They will forget that those are the same guys that created the problem. They'll think, oh, they got a solution to it now. And the solution is this digital central bank currency. And that's the cashless society that these guys have been dreaming about for over a century. And uh, where the world and every human in it has no choice. They have to use the central currency of some centralized banking system and they have no option to go anywhere else. Under those conditions, every human will be, it'll be easy to control them because if, if you step out of line and your monetary system, the money is not yours, let's put it that way, the money is not yours that you put in the bank that the bank takes care of, 
the money is theirs now and that they let you use as long as you are a good boy and girl and do exactly as you're told. And when that switch happens and you have no other option, they've got it locked for the whole bloody world. And I could see that that stage, they had decided to take that movement toward that stage starting about two years ago. And that's what we're in the middle of seeing right now. Exactly. You know, um, you know, with this digital currency, they could do all kinds of stuff. You know, you've already the Bank of New Zealand and the Bank of Australia are tagging their CBDC to a carbon credit. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that nice? So you got that. You've eaten too much meat this week, Mr. Griffin. Your CBDC won't work for buying meat. Right. Or we don't like what you say, Mr. Matei. We're going to, you know, you can't use your, your CBDC to to eat or to like put gas in your car. We don't want you moving around talking to people. I mean, that's that that's the power of that currency. And, you know, it, it, it's it, it terrifies me because this is the horrible thing about this is we're pontificating about this and talking about this. But the inflation, I think the 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 inflation mechanism that they you know and, and like you said in your books it's a self-destruct mechanism everything is self-destruct and i noticed that these authoritarians i call i call them the snake-headed gypsy tin benders down at the federal reserve <laughs> i think they're underneath there with a pool of mercury worshiping some kind of weird god or something because you would think what they're doing is is the act of madmen but no there's there's a method to their madness but the people are going to be suffering, I think, from the – we might go into hyperinflation. I'm not sure. But the inflation will be so bad that they'll welcome any kind of relief. That's, I think that's where they're going to want to get us, you know, um, and it's scary. Well, you're absolutely right. Um, the, it's pretty obvious. A drowning man is not interested in a discussion of um, constitutional rights. He's interested in only one thing getting to the top, breathing some air so he can live and survive. So if they can get the population to a state of panic and despair, like a drowning man, he's got only one thing that is on his mind is how does he survive? How does he even have a, a house, to, to a roof to sleep under? How does he get out of the cold if he's living in a cold area? How does he get, how does he even get water out of a pipe if, if, if it's all rationed and so forth? So that's what they want. And it's pretty clear. And um, this is no kidding around this. We're no longer just observers at the football game saying, gee, I wonder which side's going to win. We are on the field. We better be because if we're on the losing side, we will be more enslaved than any other population throughout all history has ever been enslaved. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100 percent. You know, um, Here's this, here's a question I have for you. This is this is a kind of a off, it's not off the wall, but so we have cryptocurrency, right? And and we talk about new forms of money, you know, or or you know a new a new currency. The cryptocurrency is is kind of fiat the way I think that it works in my mind. It's not tangible. Um, it's not redundant, right? No electricity, no no computer. The cryptocurrency doesn't work in between citizens. I'm talking like Bitcoin and stuff like that. Do you, do you think that could ever become a a viable species of currency, the cryptocurrency? Or do you think that was kind of like <clears throat> given to us to get us used to the idea of CBDC? Because it seems like they're shutting down the banks that were dealing with that crypto. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess my honest answer to your question is that I don't know. But you didn't ask me if I knew. You asked me what I thought. Yes. And, um, and my thought has always been 
very skeptical of of uh, cryptocurrencies. I thought they would be they would be very handy in a lot of situations, but I never really believed that they could uh, replace um, what we would call good money or good currency. And, and the reason I say that because we have thousands of years of history to demonstrate the wisdom of that statement. Uh, now it's true that technology didn't exist in the past. The technology that we have now to, to make a digital currency possible didn't even exist. And so that's the, the big fuddle factor there. We don't have historical uh, evidence either way on that one. So we, we have to find out, I suppose, through experience. But the thing that really made me skeptical is that we all, well, anybody that studied money knows that one of the features of a good money is the fact that it has what they call intrinsic value. Now there's a big debate as to how you define intrinsic value, but the definition I've always uh, believed in and used in for ever since I knew about this topic was that the, what was used as money was also used for something else, even if it weren't used for money. And that was the definition of intrinsic value. Not that it has good value for something, but it had value for something outside of money. So that even if people didn't want it, they could use it, I mean, for an exchange, they could use it for something else. And it would be universally in demand because it was used for something like, in the beginning of, of evolution of money, it was usually food. No, it was always food. It was uh, wheat or cattle and things like that. That's, that's what was used as m the earlier stages of money around the world. And it wasn't by government decree, it's just because that was the way it works. You have something that everybody wants, well, you can use that as money then, it's the medium of exchange. So the cryptocurrency doesn't have a, a, an intrinsic value and that always bothered me for the reason you mentioned, what happens when the electricity goes out or the computers go down or some computers go down because they've been turned off by the central authority and it just happens to be your computer that went down what happens with all that well all of a sudden all these other uh, values of cryptocurrency are useless uh, because they don't have intrinsic value so my answer to your question is that i have always been suspicious of crypto as being a a real <clears throat> acceptably um, desirable substitute or replacement for something with intrinsic value but now I'm even more so that I see how the governments of the world are, are trying to make legal restrictions against using anything else as money other than their crypto because they want to have total control over it. Right. Wasn't it New Jersey back, you know, back in the 1800s when they were still using their own money and stuff? It was uh, treason and, and maybe death if you uh, <laughs> if, if you you counterfeited their money. It's this. You know what? Mr. Griffin, it's 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 amazing to me because when you look at okay, so we have other central banks that were started before we have this grand monstrosity that they finally settled on in 1913, and even then those central banks. And if you go way back into, you know, Europe when they first started, right? What we're talking early 1300s, mid 1300s, that was always the same thing. They do the same thing. The modus operandi is the same. They have the Mandrake me mechanism, which you so dutifully pointed out, where they just start creating debt and, and, and loaning people money that doesn't exist. And they, they, they keep doing the same thing over and over, which scares me. Because right now, um, I, I, I'm, this is kind of like a two-part question, but I'll ask the first, the first part of it is, so right now we have 
the BRICS nations are, are, are consolidating, it looks like. And it looks like to me, you have the Saudis saying that, I think in two years or so, that, that China can use the yuan to buy you know, petroleum with. They don't have to use, convert their money to U.S. dollars anymore. Um, you have, you know, I think it was Africa and Brazil. They're no longer going to deal with U.S. currency at all. So we have all these, you know, the BRICS nations making these deals. Is it, it, it do we have a, the Rothschild uh, formula coming up, a war? Do you think that's on the agenda next? Because what else can they do with the the hegemon, uh, the hegemony of the petrodollar is under attack, or is that an illusion? <laughs> well, wars are very much an illusion in terms of the rationale for which they're being fought. They're very real when it comes to people getting killed. You know that part is real, but uh, let's face it. World War One and World War Two was not to save freedom. It was not to protect freedom. It was a contest over territory and ideological dominance and so forth. It had nothing to do with freedom, but that's much like the Civil War was sold to the people as being a, something having to do with emancipation of the slaves when historical record shows that it had nothing to do with that, except later as an afterthought to put moral to put moral uh, value to the northern side. Now, I'm not, I'm not, this is not an issue of north versus south. No. It's a question of historical record that the reason, the real reason for the Civil War was because the north was uh, attacking the economy of the south. They were making it very difficult for the south to even survive. They were doing things that would raise the prices of all commodities in the south, force the south to buy uh, from the northern produ producers instead of from Europe where they were cheaper. They, they passed laws against that. They forced the Southern states to pay more for the products that they use. And they put, you know, ex, excise taxes on everything. They, in other words, it was, it was an economic war of the North against the South. And even though I come from the North, when I look at that history, I, I can fully sympathize with the Southern states wanting out. They, they didn't hate the North. They didn't dislike the United States concept. They didn't, they didn't want disunity. They just wanted not to be plundered anymore by the northern states, which had more votes than they did. So that was really the basis of the war. And the whole idea of emancipation was added later on in order to put a little moral um, value or glitter, glitter to the northern side to make it worth fighting for. Well, so I don't know. I'm rambling with all that. I don't know why I got into that except to say that wars do Seldom are they really what we think they are. Um, so in that sense, they're illusions, they're, they're frauds, they're deception. But people do die by the hundreds oh, yeah. of thousands. It's tragic and all of that. So I'm, I'm against a war, but not against all wars. I'm only against aggressive wars. If somebody's going to break into my house and uh, take all my property and uh, and uh, kill my children and my rape my wife and so forth, I want to kill the bastards if I have to. I don't want to, but if they're trying to kill me and, and destroy my my world, I have no choice. So I'm not against, I'm, a, I'm against violence, but I'm not against defensive violence if you're fighting for your life or your liberty. So and the same thing with wars. If, if, you're, if another country attacks you and it's really what it appears to be, of course you have to fight back. You can't say, well, I'm a pacifist. I don't believe in wars. Right. If you do that, you just, you lose your freedom. 
Well, yeah, no sovereignty at that point. No sovereignty at that point. So people say, I'm against wars. I'm all for that. I'm against wars too. But you have to distinguish between a, a purely defensive war, which is honorable and justified, uh, and one that uh, appears to be honorable and justified, but it's really based on deceit. See, that's that's where it's hard for people to, to peel off the deceit and see what the truth is underneath the, the propaganda for the war. So uh, all of that sort of thing. Yes, uh, probably a war is on its way, and it'll appear to be uh, having a, uh, some kind of a conflict between the United States and the and Russia and China and so forth. That'll be that'll be a facade. It's already a facade. We see Putin, who is supposedly our, you know, he's supposedly the good guy in in many quarters. Even though we think that Russia is bad, a lot of a lot of conservatives are so-called conservatives in America think Putin is great because he's calling out the all the um, illegal and unethical activities of the present regime. But by the same token, they do the same thing in their country. So uh, we, we forget that little fact. And so it's to that extent, it's like a professional wrestling match. Yes. You, you got to have two sides and they have to beat the heck out of each other and look really good up there in the ring. Otherwise, nobody will come in and believe that they're really fighting and they won't pay their money for a ticket. And so the whole show goes away. Right. Well, anyway, that's an oversimplification of, to be sure. But so you ask about, will it be a war? It could be a war. And if it is, it would be a staged war, a theatrical war, just to get the people, uh, get their minds off of what's really going on and being willing to accept all of this as a rational uh, basis for being w willing to give up our liberty. I mean, people will give up their liberty if they think it's the only way to get their security. Yes. And that is the gimmick right there. If, if people understand that the, the totalitarians of the world and the would-be totalitarians of the world, the ones who are reaching for more and more power, they understand that trick very well. They understand that all they have to do is just scare the daylights out of everybody over something, whether it's a war or a pandemic or terrorism or you name it, e economic uh, collapse, uh, famine, uh, what else? Uh, oh yeah, economic, I mean, not economic, but ecological disaster. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, add them up. I mean, they're ready to go on any basis. Yeah. yeah. As long yeah, as it's, as long as it's big it. and scary, that's useful. And I think they're working on a, a phony alien invasion too. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to bring that up. I didn't know how you felt on that, but I think that that's that that's in the mix. They've been they've been hyping the alien thing up slowly over the past few years. If you scan the headlines, you know, you can, you can read it in the tea leaves. It's coming. Yeah, they're conditioning people to accept it. There's no question. So anyway, the answer to the question is yes. It could be any of those things. And it, in my view, it probably will be several of those things. It may be all happening at once. Now, can you imagine if these people took a little suitcase uh, atom bomb? Suitcase one. Enough just to blow up a like not the whole state of uh, Michigan, but just half of Detroit or something like that, where I come right. from. <laughs> uh, what an impact, psychological impact would that have on the world, to say nothing of Americans, why they'd be scared out of their britches. And uh, it would, wouldn't be too much of a loss to the powers that be. They'd, they'd probably ready to wonder what they're going to do with half of Detroit anyway, uh, which is, in shambles. So uh, 
but they could play that as uh, as a real war and nobody would know the difference it would there'd be death and destruction and all the media would be in in lockstep playing it up yeah this is a war and china sent that over or this bomb came from russia or something and the americans would be indignant and scared to death and then they would do whatever they were told to do by their government they get out of their houses get in the truck yeah but it's my house no it's not your house but it's my house i paid for it. well no it's now belongs to the government we're at war ma'am get in the truck you know oh yes sir i will get in the truck that's how it works and um People will never survive this unless they understand these tactics. I agree with you 100%. You know what's scary uh, is that with COVID, I think that they seen, look, they shut the world down in three days. Yeah. In three days, the entire world, they shut it down. And I think that they know now, I, you know, I think that what I'm noticing, and, and I'm, not no, I'm not a rocket scientist, right? I'm, very, I'm self-educated for the most part, but I'm noticing that they're using several different attacks at one time. They'll use one thing and use it for five different, uh, you know, goals that they want to achieve. Like COVID did a, a lot of different things. I think they've seen that their social engineering, it, it, you know, has has worked and that they could they got everybody to buy everything quickly. You know, they they use the tribalism uh, gimmick with those of us who did not buy the COVID uh, scandemic pandemic. You know, you're tr telling me to wear a particle mask to 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 protect me from a biological contagion. Come on, you know, it's that just the whole thing. I mean, then they used it to consolidate businesses. Look at all the small businesses that got lost. The, the, the banking consolidation that went on there, the amount of banks that we have lost since the beginning of 2000. I looked at the other day from 2017 till now, we have lost all what I like to call the wildcat banks. They're not wildcat banks anymore, but the smaller mid-sized banks, they're wiped out. You know, the commercial real estate got wiped out. It's just so that it scares me how they're, they're doing this. And, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not really scared because I'm a man of faith. We all, you know, I, I there's no, nothing really, shakes me to that point but what, what i see you know what i see going on is the mass manipulation of the public and i see that the public is, is falling for it how, how how much what's the percentage do you think in our country of people who are having a discussion like you and i day to day oh a discussion like we are at the depth that we are not maybe at the depth but maybe at the awareness where they all right so they they, they know help. something they they're skeptics, let's just say. They're open-minded and they're saying something is wrong and I don't I don't think I'm they're get telling me the truth. I would say a third. Okay. Which right. is a pretty big number. Yes. A pretty big number because if you want to back off to the bigger picture, history I think pretty well demonstrates the fact that the course of history is always determined by about 1% of the population or less. The others, well, here's how I see it. There's 1% who are the, say, the thought leaders. Then there's 3% who are the, the opinion leaders, the opinion setters. And they'll, you know, they'll communicate. And I'm using the wrong word. They're the influencers. That's the word we use. Gotcha. They're the influencers. That's 3%. And that 3% will reach the doers, the activists, which is 15%. And there you have it. You've got 15% usually on both ends of any major issue broken down in that category.
that leaves what seventy uh, percent in the middle. They don't have the foggiest idea what's going on. Couldn't care less. And they'll just go along and say, "Well, whoever wins, I'm I'm on that side," you know. So when you say that a third of the population is already aware enough to understand the essence of what we're talking about, we already have the sufficient number to bring about a change in history. Our job now is, yes, it's to reach more people. That's true. But our job now is to get the people who already know, unified, get them working together, get them to meet each other face to face, quit sending emails to each other. Let's meet together in person down at the coffee shop or conferences and so forth, form coalitions and get out on the streets and in the, in the business organizations and in all the power centers of society, get back into politics and take this country back. You don't, have, you don't have to use guns or bombs to do that. You take the country back the same way we lost it, which was through infiltration into the power centers. Nice. I say infiltration, our enemies infiltrated it. I don't think we should infiltrate it. We should just get back into it like we should have been all along so we could influence what these power centers like labor unions, political parties, schools, media centers, and so, influence what they do. That's all. Exactly. It can, that, be done. it can be done. That 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 is some hope that you know we have. It's been a dark times the last few weeks, and that 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 piece of hope that you've said, I really appreciate. It. I think my viewers will, our viewers will too. Um, you know, I I say this too. I I got into this podcasting thing not very long ago. You know, it's and I, I libertarian esque conservatives, people who know about this stuff, people in and and I use the word community you know, not in a communist fashion or a commune like that, but we need to build a community. That's what I noticed. We kind of have a, like you said, this online community, but we, we really don't have a true community. And I've noticed something about conservatives and, and the libertarians. It's like herding cats when I, we need to do the same thing. Not that we're going to lose our morals or we're still going to stand on our principles, but Repeating things. You look at the, the social engineering and the psychological operations that went into getting the people, that 70% of those people, okay, into that state of where they're at. That, that That's how these people want ideologically. We need to have the same tactics, but with ethics, right? We're not even in the game with that because, oh, Twitter banned me, I give up. <laughs> that's you know that's what i hear or you know hey you know uh you know I'm, I'm a libertarian i don't need anybody's help well wait a minute we all need to band together here this is the like you said we've been watching and talking and listening to alex jones talk about this with his hair on fire or this guy talk about it with his hair on fire trying to entertain us a little bit for the last 10 years everything that we've talked about when it comes to inflation and the the collapse of the dollar and all that we're, like you said we're on the field this time next year, our standard of living is going to be affected. I see it not only in the markets. I don't only see it in looking at the inflation rates, but I'm a, I'm a mechanic that people, I, I work in my own house. They come to me. I know small business owners. I know party store owners, you know, or liquor store owners. Everyone's saying the same thing. Inflation is destroying everything right now. Sales are down. Business is down. So we're on the field. It's like, it's go time right now. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah, it frustrates me, sir. I just, I get so frustrated with it, but I keep trying, you know, keep trying. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that uh, because I, if we had a few more people like you preaching that line, I think that we'd have a few more followers who are doing exactly what needs to be done. And um, 
that's not the purpose of our talk today, but I'd like to invite anybody who wants to know what we have offered as a solution to that problem, uh, come to uh, the website for redpilluniversity.org because that's precisely what we're trying to build is that kind of community in every county in the United States. In some counties, there'll be several of them. They'll be called university campuses, but they're not you know, like the usual campus. There'd be no brick and mortar or anything like that. Is this oh, it? Yeah. That's it, yeah. Well, that's, uh, yep, that's the university homepage. Now, be aware I'm working on that page as as this week goes by. So there, there could be changes and some flaws there, but you'll get the idea. Yeah. And the whole idea is, the, the whole idea at the end of the bottom line here is we want to form campuses, local groups, like you were describing, where people talk to each other, meet together, work together, accomplish things together. It's possible to dominate the, the uh, city council, to get your, get your people in as the members of city council, the mayor, the board of supervisors, the sheriff, and so forth. Those are the, that's where you start a movement is from the ground up, not from the top down. Forget the White House. I mean, that's so far beyond what we can do. And even if we got, even if we put you in the White House or me, there's nothing we could do because we'd be surrounded by all these bureaucrats who are our enemy and they would, they would uh, pretend to say, oh, yes, sir, we'll do, do that. But they'll do it in such a way as to destroy it and make it not function. Um, so anyway, we don't, we, we're not going to turn this thing around by, well, if we're going to vote for president, that's no, stupid. No, 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 no. no. We've got to build the movement from the bottom up. Once we control all the counties and so forth, then we have influence on the national politics, but not before. Absolutely. Uh, that, and, and that's the big thing. There's, there's a guy that um, he wrote a book. It's called The Public Wheel in You. It's by a guy named Vince Agnelli. And uh, I had the honor to interview this guy. And he is very smart, you know, where he, you know, a public meeting is a legal thing. You can do legal things in a public meeting. You can get your friends and neighbors and go down to your local courthouse or your local meeting place. And when you guys have a public meeting, you can do legal stuff. This book basically, you know, I wish I could like, like have this university that like you're talking about, because this goes back to the West Virginian constitution and the Virginian constitution and how they did things before the, you know, the Masonites and all, you know, the Ma George Mason and all that, and that, that big war. But it was, it was a great way to show people you need to get together and start, like you said, locally, get in, you know, get it, get into your town city council, get in, you know, and, and do it that way because the central bankers have created a trough of, of, of corruption that, Almost all of our representatives, you know, Senate, I call them the garbage eaters, the Senate's and the senators and the congressmen in there. There's a few good ones like, you know, Thomas Massey. You know, you had Ron Paul stumble through the halls of Congress there, which which, you know, those guys weren't weren't like that. But there's nobody with integrity because there's so much money to be had, so much corruption. I believe the Republican Party is a lost cause. I like you said, I think I think Trump is is Hulk Hogan. I think Biden is, you know. Hulk Hogan, the wrestler, you know, and Biden is Andre the Giant. And they put these guys up there for everybody to look at. And I don't trust any of them because look no. at the tyranny. Look at the yeah, I get yelled at. Oh, you don't like Trump. You're not a, you're not a, you're not a conservative or a libertarian American. Wait a minute. This guy funded this. This guy funded the warp speeds. The administrator. He funded the lockdowns. He funded the shots. He funded it. guys. Forget the tribalism politics. We need to like we need grassroots people having grassroots answers starting at the bottom. Forget this. Forget these these uh, preordained masters that we've been given because it's all corrupt. You know, I hope I didn't make you mad by talking about Trump bad. I, I mean, no, no. You notice I I was totally silent 
I was hoping you would just continue and say all the things that I would probably want to say, but uh, I don't want to get people mad at me either. So, no, I mean, right? I didn't want to get mad just, at you either. So I, I was like, "Whoa, what are you saying, Frank?" No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Uh, people who think that um, there's a man in the white horse, I'm afraid those people are the problem because they're they're so naive. They'll 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 vote our country down the drain. You're right. You're right. I have one last question for you. We got. That, you know, just a couple minutes left here, but I, I got one last question for you. Now, this might seem like a, a juvenile question, but hey, so we have our central banking system, which was was born out of the English central banking system, took over the whole Western, you know, uh, block of countries here for better lack of a better term. This I call them the swift banking, you know, the swift central bankers over here. And then we have the BRICS nations over there and they have central banks. Are these guys all in cahoots? Like, did the Rothschilds, were they able to infect with the, you know, the, the East Trading Company and all that other stuff that they had going on? Or are, are they all, is it one bank? Are they in cahoots? Do you know? I mean, it's, it's very confusing, that right there. Well, it is confusing. It, it's simple and confusing at the same time. The structure is, is international, but there's no question in my mind. By the way, it's, it's, what they do is pretty secret. They don't open their meetings up and they don't publish their minutes and so forth. So it's... All you can do is sort of guess at what goes on behind those doors. But um, it's pretty clear, too, that there are there must be factions within that group. And they don't always agree with each other. Probably in general principles, they do. They all agree that fiat money and fractional reserve banking is probably the, the, found, the foundation of what they're doing. But as to which one will have the most influence over the, the policies and the dis distribution of power and the hierarchy and so forth, I'm sure that there are there's competition between them, so they're not in total unity. But uh, I think much of the apparent um, uh, polarity that we see in all of the, those things, whether it's banking or politics, much of that is for show. It's for theater. It's not real. And um, now beyond that, I, I've never attempted to list all the banks in these various countries and check out their board of directors or read their minutes and see what, how they voted on this, that, and the other thing. That would be an interesting project because after you spent maybe a month or two doing that, you would be able to answer this question pretty clearly by what they have done, their acts and their votes. But I haven't done that. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Almost like they're like uh, the mafia families underneath the, the one, the one Don there and they wore a little bit, but pretty much they all, are yeah. going to the same head of the snake, basically. I think that's a good analogy. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Um, words of wisdom. How, how, how? Uh, you're, you're, uh, you're young. You're a spring chicken. Nine, <laughs> what, what is it? Ninety years young? Ninety-two years young? Oh, I'm ninety-one. Wow. So, what is your secret to to good health? What What is your secret to? Because you're sharp as you're sharp as a whip. I mean, I'll tell you that right now. Well, I don't know about that, but. Uh... I don't know that I have any secrets. Uh, I don't do anything that uh, that's mysterious. You can everything I do. I'll be glad to mention a few things here, but you can read them in any health book. Um, I try to eat good foods, but I'm not a purist. I eat junk foods now and then. I love chocolate covered peanut butter cups, so don't tempt me with those. I'll <laughs> gladly give up my health for one of those. Um, and um, 
I eat meat, but not as much as I used to. I try and back off on that. I think a good balance is necessary. I try and get sleep, although I do pretty good. I usually average seven or eight hours of sleep. I exercise every day. Um, not Nothing heroic. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, I take a few extra things that most people don't take. I, I take something which is supposed, theoretically at least, supposed to extend the telomeres on my uh, cells. My nice. BioPQQ by any chance? Is that what? No. Well, the name of the product is Recharge. Okay. I, we sell it. We sell it, actually. I liked it so much. It's supposed to be a longevity thing. It keeps you from aging, they say. Well, it hasn't kept me from aging, but it's kept me from some of the symptoms of aging. And it, or something has helped, kept me from doing that. Anyway, it's, it's a, an expensive little project uh, product. I use that. I have something called Cardio Miracle, which is a, a food source um, nutritional drink that um, helps the body produce um, nitric oxide, which is, uh, as your, many of viewers know, nitric oxide is, a, is ubiquitous as a health uh, enhancement. It, it improves the flexibility of your blood vessels. It saved my life, I think, because I was, you know, when I was 40 or 45 years old, I had high blood pressure. So, but now I don't. I'm, my blood pressure's down like a 20-year-old. I get about 118 uh, or 120 on my uh, blood pressure. Nice. And um, so that probably saved my life. And uh, other than that, I have no secrets. Uh, just, I don't know, maybe I'm just lucky. I don't think it's my genes because my family is not um, is not famous for longevity. Oh, I have to tell you a little joke. Sure. This, this has been, maybe it's a better answer to the question. It must have been at least 20 years or 30 years ago Computers were just coming in so that you could do things on the internet that were interesting. And my wife came in. She says, Ed, I want you to take a test. I just took it. It's a little test, a quiz, and it'll tell you what your life expectancy is. I said, well, she said, yeah, take the test. See how long you're going to live. I said, maybe I don't want to know. She said, well, take it anyway. Okay, I'll take the test. So I got online. Well, it turned out to be a very comprehensive test. Um, they wanted to know everything about my, my parents, my brothers, my sisters. You know, how much do I drink? Uh, do I smoke? Um, what's my blood type? You know, do I exercise? And blah, blah, blah. But a lot of questions that they were all good. That maybe this is a serious examination. So when I was all done, it said, click the button here and you get your answer. So I clicked the button and blow me down. It was just like, it was like a movie. When click, whir, whir, whir. And the answer came up on screen and it said, congratulations. You have already outlived your life expectancy. <laughs> uh, I, I, was, I, oh my I didn't know whether to, to laugh or cry. That's <laughs> but, hilarious. So, There's... okay, I've already outlived my life expectancy, so I must be doing something right. I don't know. <laughs> right. No. Oh, man. You know what? Thank you so much. It's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I mean, and, and you know what? Like I always tell people, time's the most valuable commodity, and I really appreciate you sharing yours with us. And uh, I'm going to do a little plugging for you right now because it's, it's important. So everybody, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to let you know, I do subscribe to his new newsletter. Um, and you can, can you subscribe from your website here to the yeah. newsletter? Yeah. So go to this website, ladies and gentlemen, it's redpilluniversity.org. And you want to sign up for this, this, uh, you'll, and you'll get on the mailing list, log in. I, I, I get, uh, usually once or twice a week, 
isn't it, that I get I get a newsletter? Well, actually, it, to sign up directly for the newsletter, it's needtoknow.news. Okay. Needtoknow.news. Do you actually, is that a website too? It's a website. That is the news. And um, that goes out three times a week. And I personally, uh, involve, I'm personally involved in that as in the production of those articles. So um, there it is. There it is. And so up in the upper right hand. Not news, ladies and yep, gentlemen. Check it. that out. Yep. The political correctness is not spoken there. So. No, excellent. Yeah, no, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't I don't expect it from you. Do you have any other projects that you want me to plug? I mean, everybody. Well, yeah, you had the had it a moment ago, Red Pill University and yep. Red Pill Expo. The expo is coming up. The next one, the Red Pill next to Red Pill Expo, be number 10, is coming up in August of um, this year. That happens to be our last one that you just flipped up there. Okay. That was in Salt Lake City. So we have to change the dates on that and show the, the people that we're putting on the program now for the next expo. So that's really a, our big project at the moment. Where's and the next one going to be? Do you guys know? Yeah, it's in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. And, that's not mm -hmm. that bad. And the, the website will be up to date on those basic pieces of information very soon, as soon as I can get to it. So, ladies and gentlemen, definitely. So, check out the Red Pill University. Hopefully, we can get something going where we actually have have an organized group that that you know wants to wants to get involved in this and change. You know, and 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 it's guys like you. You you blaze the trail. You 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 shine the light on something. I think for many people that that was hiding in the dark. You know, the 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 creature, this large creature that nobody knew about and you shined a light on it and it was hiding in the dark and now everyone can see it because of you. And believe me, you, you have, you have reached a lot of people. You are a legend in the community, which you probably know. And everybody, if you have not read this book, now this is one of these books. You can't just read it once. You have to read this more than once because there's so much in it, right? I've read it twice. Okay. And then I've listened to it twice. So, you know, just, uh, so it's hard to read and work at the same time, but. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Edward G. Griffith, anything you want to say? You pretty much. Well, yeah, I'll say something to you, Franco. Uh, you're, you're a guy that should form one of our campuses in your community. You sound to me like you're, you're on fire. You've got fire in your belly and um, you know what you're talking about. And um, I bet right in your local community, I don't know where you live, but you must have. All we need is three people to start. Once we get three people that are committed to make this work, it'll soon jump up to 12 and then to 20 or 30, which is an ideal number. If you get 20 or 30 people into this campus, all of whom know what's really going on in the world and realize the seriousness of it, and who are willing to spend a little bit of time developing uh, local projects, you'd be surprised how quickly you can become a major influencer in, uh, in your local community. I've seen yeah, it happen. No, I'm, I'm extremely interested in that. So, uh, after the show here, stick around just for a second, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that Absolutely. real quick. I'm glad um, you said that. Glad you said that. And anybody else listening that wants to form a uh, a campus, first of all, go to the Red Pill University website and see what it's all about. And then, if the idea intrigues you of having a, a local group of twenty or thirty people who are really, you know, activists who really know what's going on and make a difference, why then we'll talk. Yeah, sounds great. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, time is your most valuable commodity. Do it, spend it doing something you love, with someone you love, or improving yourself 
or preferably all three of those things. Ladies and gentlemen, until we meet again. Your time is your most valuable commodity. Cherish it and use it wisely until we meet again. Oh, <laughs>